1: Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone we tell the story of Tamela Horsford, a 40-year-old mother of five from Cummings, Georgia. On the night of November 3rd, 2018, Tamala went to a sleepover at the home of a woman she had become friends with. The next morning, Tamala was found face down in the backyard of the house. She was dead. Police ruled her death an accident, but her family did not believe it. What happened to Tamala that night? Accident or murder. This is Tamla's story. When the story of Tamla Horsford's death started spreading all over social media again last year, it was the first time many people had heard about this story. However, before most people had ever even heard this story, Tamla's death had been ruled an accident and the case was closed. But in 2020, the public began showing renewed interest in not only the deaths of black people at the hands of the police, but they also started showing interest in stories involving the murders or suspicious deaths of black people where white people were either directly involved or suspected of being involved. Now, people's interest in these cases wasn't because there was a lynch mob, you know, searching for white people that have killed black people. It was more about the way in which the justice is applied in these cases. It's about how the police treat the victims versus the perpetrators or suspected perpetrators in these crimes. There's a difference between you know, the police shooting unarmed black people and black people being killed by a non-black person, even if it's a hate crime, because people expect the police to protect them, not kill them for reaching for a wallet. But make no mistake about it, the issue that creates a culture in which black people are treated poorly by police works the opposite for white people. And so when a Black woman dies in a home while at a party with all-white people in a town that was all-white for decades and is known for its racial animosity, people want to know why and they want to know how. So who was Tamala? Well, Tamala St. Joir was born on October tenth, 1978 in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and that's a small island that's in the Caribbean. Tamela's parents had two girls, Tamela and her sister Summer. And the family lived in St. Vincent and the Grenadines until 1989. Tamela was 11 years old when her family moved to the Bronx in New York. Now, there isn't much public information about Tamla's life after Tamela and her family moved to the Bronx. But she met her husband, Leander Horsford, in Florida. He had a daughter from a previous relationship, and after the couple married... Pamela and Leander had five sons. Leander's job was what would eventually bring the couple to Georgia, specifically Cummings, Georgia. And it was a small, predominantly white town that is not exactly known for its diversity. But the Horfords, they quickly adjusted to their small town southern life Tamala spent her time volunteering at her son's school and transporting them to and from various after-school activities, including, you know, little league practices and games. The people that knew Tamala said that she was a warm, caring person, and that is probably what drew people to her in this new town. Tamala was the life of the party. She was charismatic, and she was a person who loved to laugh. And so, despite being one of the very few Black people in Cummings, Tamla quickly makes friends with the other moms whose children played football with her sons. By 2018, her family—you know, Tamla and her family—were living happily in Georgia. The boys were growing up, and her stepdaughter, who Tamla had raised like her own child, was an adult and was, you know, starting her own life. In the fall of 2018, one of the friends Tamla had met through her son's football team was having a 45th birthday party. Now, the party was going to be what reports say was an old-school pajama party and sleepover. And the party was for Jean Myers, and it was going to be hosted at her home. On November 3rd, 2018, Tamla prepared to go to the party at the home of her friend John. Now, according to reports, the women were supposed to arrive at 7 p.m., and at least that's what the invitations had said. But, you know, having five boys at home, you know, Tamala had to cook before she could just, you know, be gone for the night. And so she made her family dinner before going to the party, and Tamla ended up arriving late. She got to the party, according to reports, or initial reports, at around 8.30 p.m., now, being late, that's, like, such a mom thing. Like, when I heard that she wasn't on time for the party, um, it's just such a mom thing. Like, I don't think I have been on time for anything since I became a mom. But anyway, so Tamala arrived at the party, and according to those in attendance, she was immediately the life of the party. The idea, you know, of the party was that everyone was supposed to drink, let loose, and just, you know, just have a good time without having to worry about driving home. And so that was the purpose of everybody staying the night, or at least most people staying the night. Now, Tamla once she got there, she changes into her pajamas. She had uh, decided to wear this white, like, onesie paz- pajama set that had uh paw prints on it and she had brought a bottle of tequila with her and reports said that it was intended as a gift for jean for her birthday it was a bottle of tequila from mexico now most of the women at the party were women that tamlin knew through football but there were apparently a couple of the women that she did not know so, according to the people at the party, Tamila was drinking the tequila that she had brought because although it was intended for Jean, Jean said that she didn't drink tequila, which apparently Tamala didn't know. And, you know, while all the women say they were heavily drinking that night, they indicate that Tamila was the only one that was drinking the tequila. Now, this party was supposed to be ladies only. However, Jean's boyfriend, Jose, and the husband of one of the other party attendees decided to stay and watch the football game. Now, while the women stayed upstairs and drank and ate, the two men watched football in the basement of the home, which was a finished basement. And at some point in the night, the men come upstairs and they all played the game Cards Against Humanity. Now, the party attendees say that everyone was drinking, you know, they're having a good time. Um, and Tamala, who was a smoker, was periodically going out to the deck to have a cigarette. Um, there are multiple pictures from that night, and they appear to show a very happy Tamala, um, you know, just enjoying a night with her friends. There's also video from that night, and in that video, Tamala doesn't appear to be overly intoxicated. People at the party also said that Tamala didn't appear to be that drunk. So at around 1130 that night, Tamala FaceTimed her husband to check in and, uh, you know, say goodnight to her kids. Uh, And then after finishing up the game, the party was starting to wind down. Now, all of the women at the party weren't planning to spend the night. And at around 11.30, two of the women left because they said that they didn't have babysitters for the whole night. Now, the rest of the guests stayed up, but around 1 a.m., people started to trickle off and go to sleep. Reports say that Tamala wasn't ready, you know, for the party to be over. She's a mom, you know, she has five boys at home. This is this is her night out, and she kind of wanted to keep the party going, according to reports. Um, and she was trying to kind of convince people to stay up, but eventually, most of the guests pretty much ended up going to bed. Now, according to reports. Jean and her boyfriend Jose said that they went to bed around 1.30 a.m. and that Tamala and another woman named Bridget were still awake. Now, Bridget said that she stayed till about 1.47 a.m. and then she left. According to Bridget, who is the last person to admit seeing Tamala alive, she said that when she left, Tamala was sitting on the couch eating a bowl of gumbo and that she said she was going to go out and smoke another cigarette before heading to bed. Now, the security system in the home seems to be able to confirm Bridget's story that she left at 1.47 a.m. because there is a chime of the front door opening at that time. But no one else admits seeing Tamala again that night. Now, the next morning, Jean's aunt, whose name is Madeline, also lived in the home. But it's curious because there's a lot of reports that don't mention her being at the party, which she would have had to have at least come upstairs or walked through the party or been somewhere in the vicinity of the party that night if she lived in the house. But there's very little mention of her being at the party or her presence that night. So anyway, um she woke up the next morning and um she slept in the basement of the home and at about 8:45 a.m. while she was preparing to make her morning coffee, she said that she looked out of the window and saw Tamala lying face down on the ground in the backyard. Now, Madeline told police that she could see Tamela's white onesie with the paw prints and knew that something terrible had happened. She told police that she immediately got down on her knees and started to pray. She said she then went upstairs to tell Jean and Jose, you know, what she had just found in the backyard. Now, she allegedly says to Jean that, quote, something is wrong with your friend from the islands. Which, I'm sorry, is very, very weird to me because this woman had been in this country since she was 11 years old. And I mean, yeah, she was technically, she was from the islands, but she didn't like just arrive last year. So for her to describe her as her friend from the islands, it seems a little weird. And something says to me that that's not what she said and that just sound more politically correct than what she probably said. So anyway, Madeline's aunt tells Jean and Jose about Timela in the Backyard. And according to them, they immediately got dressed and went outside to see what had happened and what was going on. Now, when they go downstairs, it's clear to them that Tamla is already dead. And a little bit before 9 a.m., Jean calls the police. Now, here is the audio from that nine one one call. Now I just want to make a little note. After the dispatcher asked Jean to confirm her number, there is a brief pause in the audio where her number has been redacted. So don't worry. There's there's nothing wrong with your audio. Just keep listening. Four
0: five county, nine, nine one one. Hi, yes. Um I, I need an ambulance and a board to my home. What's the address? Four four five zero Woodlake Court. Four four five zero woodlake. Woodlet. Woodlake, okay. All right, forty-four fifty Woodlake Court. What is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is six zero. I- yes. Yeah. Okay. What's going on? Um, we had people over last night. When we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them. Stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, and we just went out outside. And she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay, is she breathing? I, I don't, I don't know if she's face down. Okay. 41, how, how old is she? i 41. Here, hold on.
1: So, as you can hear in the audio, Jean is already attempting to create a reason why Tamla is dead. Now, I'm not going to play the entire 911 call because it's about seven minutes long. But if you do want to hear it, it's on YouTube. So just search Tamla Horsford 911 call. So, after Jean speaks to the dispatcher, she gives the phone to Jose. And Jose tells the dispatcher that Tamla isn't moving. The dispatcher asks if he sees blood. And Jose's response is that he's not sure if he should move her, you know, to see if there was blood underneath of her. The dispatcher then asked Jose to check and see if she was breathing, because apparently no one had attempted to see if Tamala was still breathing. Now, they mentioned that she was drinking a lot, and they think that she possibly had fallen off the balcony. But what strikes people the most about this call is the calmness they both display. They, they seem very matter of fact while they're telling the dispatcher about what you know could have possibly happened to Tamla. So 15 minutes after calling 911, police arrived at the scene. Now, the officers determined immediately that Tamla was already dead, and so they told the EMTs that they didn't need to come to the scene. Police processed the scene, but it was pretty obvious from the beginning that police believed the initial story of the homeowners and thought that Tamla's death was an accident. And since they thought it was an accident, they worked the scene as such. They did ask a lot of the party, you know, attendees to come back to the home so that they could be interviewed. But they didn't collect any fingerprints. They didn't take any DNA swabs from underneath her fingernails. Nor did they do a rape kit to see if sexual assault had occurred. The lead detective, however, does note that the position of the body is odd. And he applies that as weird that she's face down from a fall. So, like I told you before, Jean had had a security system in her home, and so all of the doors in her home were connected to the security system, and she would be notified on her phone whenever a door would open or close. Now, Jean shows investigators the log from the system, and it indicates that at one forty-nine a.m., the back door, which led out to the balcony, opened. And then at one fifty a.m., it closed again. And then seven minutes later, it opened again and remained open until Jean and Jose came down the next morning. Now, according to them, the door wasn't wide open, it just hadn't been closed all the way. Now, as police interview the people at the party, they began to see the movement that had pretty much been going on throughout the entire night. So, after Bridget left at 1.47 a.m., the next guest to leave the house was a woman named Marcy, Now, Marcy left the home at 4.10 a.m., and she told investigators that she left at that time because she needed to be at work. At 7.45 a.m., another guest, Paula, leaves. And then 45 minutes later, at 8.30 a.m., Stacy and her husband, Tom, who was the other guest at the party, they also leave, and then so does Jennifer, whose husband, who had dropped her off and picked her up at the party. Now, it's reported that John's security system also had surveillance cameras, but they were coincidentally not running that night. So, Tamala was officially pronounced dead two hours after police arrived on the scene. Tamala's body was sent for an autopsy, but police continued to work this case like it was an accident. And the medical examiner in Forsyth County would ultimately confirm the police's theory. They ruled her death an accident. The ME said that Tamala had a blood alcohol that was nearly three times the legal limit. And they also said that she had weed and Xanax in her system. Now, people at the party had told police that Tamla was smoking weed at the party, but she had been asked by Jean to stop because of Jose's job. Police also said that they had found rolling papers in Tamla's purse. Now, the Emmy ruled her death an accident, and they cited that intoxication likely played a role in her fall. They also used the discovery of an unlit cigarette on the porch, as well as the security camera, I mean, the security doors opening and closing as further justification that this was, you know, an accident and that she fell. Now, despite the fact that people at the party had said that Sam, Tamla didn't seem that drunk, the Emmy and the police concluded that Tamla was so drunk that night that she went outside at one fifty-seven a.m. to smoke a cigarette and then fell to her death. On February 19th, 2019, the Forsyth police closed Tamala's case. Now, people who were close to Tamela were suspicious from the beginning that Tamela's falling to her death. It just didn't seem right. Now, yes, Tamela was the life of the party, and she may very well have turned up that night. But sloppy drunk, she was not. People at the party told police that she didn't appear to be that drunk. So why would she just fall? Now, when the autopsy comes back, the questions about what really happened to Tamala only deepened for her family and friends. The Emmy said that Tamala had sustained injuries that were consistent with a fall. Now, the balcony that Tamala fell from was about 15 to 20 feet high. It was a first floor balcony. Now, it looks like a pretty far fall, but it doesn't look like the kind of fall that would kill you. Tamala had blunt force trauma to the head, a broken neck, a dislocated wrist, and she had a laceration in her heart, scrapes and bruises on her face and fingers, and cuts on her arms and legs. Now, how would Tamala have got cuts on her arms and legs when she was wearing long sleeve fleece pajamas? She dislocated her wrist and broke her neck? How? Now, photos from the scene do not show any bushes, any bushes, any branches, any rocks anywhere near where her body was found. It was really just it was just open grass. Now, there was a line of mulch that bordered the home, but Tamil's body, even if she had fallen on her own, had landed beyond that point. And so, there was no indication that the body had moved. She was also found face down. Now, how did she fall? and land face down. None of these questions have ever been answered. Now, the autopsy had also found Xanax in her system, but the people in Tamla's life said that she did not take Xanax. Tamla's family was never given the autopsy photos, and so they had to rely on the report that was given to them to get some insight into what happened to Tamala. The police theory of the case was not believable to Tamela's family. There were multiple things that were not adding up to them, including statements made by the lead investigator, Mike Christian, to Tamela's father. Now, Detective Christian, in the early days of the investigation, had initially told Tamela's father, Kurt St. jure that Tamela's fall was a ground fall, meaning that she did not fall from the balcony. Now, in the initial police report, it does state that when detectives spoke to Tamla's father, that they told him that their initial theory was that Tamla had tripped over the landscaping and fallen over and died. Now, that story quickly changed, probably because they knew that that didn't make any sense. So they then introduced the theory that she had fallen from the balcony, and Detective Christian later admitted that he did tell Kurt this and that it was a mistake to tell you know, her father that so early on in the investigation. But was it a mistake? Or did the evidence initially not mess, you know, mesh with her falling from the balcony? Now, Tamla's family and friends began to publicly question the police's investigation and stories of the people that were in attendance that night. Tamla's story began to gain some traction on social media when the picture from that night began to circulate. People became immediately drawn to the story about the only black woman at an all-white party in Georgia dying mysteriously. One of Tamla's closest friends became the driving force behind the first social media campaign to bring awareness to what happened to Tamala. The way the investigation had been handled from the moment police you know police arrived was widely criticized. Police had not secured the scene. They had not collected any evidence, and although they did speak to people at the scene, they did not formally interview the people at the party for two days, which many people believe gave them just enough time to get their story straight. Reports also indicate that there were inconsistencies in the statements of the guests, especially when it came to the times that they all woke up. Now, police could track via the security system when people came and went from the home, but not what time people woke up and moved around the home. There were also reports that Aunt Madeline was up as early as 7.30. Now, in one of the articles, it's alleged that Jennifer, one of the party goers, told police that she had woken up between 7.30 a.m. and 7.45 a.m. And by 8 a.m., she was up and ready for her husband to come and pick her up. It then goes on to say that Jennifer told police that when she saw Madeline in the kitchen that morning, she was acting suspiciously. Now, Jennifer is said to have later, you know, changed her story to fit the timeline that Madeline got, gave police about finding Tamala at 845. But if what Jennifer said initially was true, then when did Madeline see Tamala? And if it is true, that means that the 911 call was placed almost two hours later. Now, initially, Madeline said that she found the body when she went outside to check the weather. But in another interview, she then says that she saw her through the window and then prayed before telling Jean and Jose. There were also discrepancies in the time people said that Tamla had arrived at the party. Now, in the initial report, John said that Tamala was the last person to arrive, but she wasn't. Another woman arrived after Tamala. In fact, the now infamous picture on the couch that was taken uh, was taken before the last guest arrived and it was taken by Madeline. Now, none of this information helped to ease suspicions that these people were hiding something. One of the women who left the party earlier that night seemed to be really in disbelief that Tamla could have fallen. She told police that she had been on that deck a million times and that she looked, she tried to figure out how Tamla could have fallen. But even drunk, she could not comprehend how Tamla could have fallen. The inconsistencies in what was being told to police and the investigation itself led many to believe that this was possibly a cover-up. Now, it was not lost on people that this had happened in Cummings, Georgia, a city where only 4% of its population is Black. Cummings had been widely known as a place where white supremacists would gather, and Cummings was for years an all-white town that shunned the idea of racial mixing. Now, as time had gone on, more black people had moved to the area, but the racial tension that has existed there for decades was and always is kind of bubbling at the surface. And so people couldn't help but question whether or not the police would have handled this case the same way if things were reversed. If a white woman had died mysteriously in a home with all black people in a predominantly black neighborhood, would they have treated it the same? Now, in the months following Tamla's death, her family and friends did all they could to bring attention to her case via social media. But more than just the racial history of Cummings, there were questions about the relationships that existed between law enforcement and some of the people at the party. Jose had been a probation officer and currently was working as a pretrial services officer. It's more than obvious that Jose potentially had relationships and knew the police that were investigating Tamla's death. I mean, this isn't some huge city with some large police force. And so as interest grew, the people who attended the party, they ended up receiving death threats. And eventually, some of them sued one of Tamila's most vocal supporters, saying that she had put them in danger by accusing them of having something to do with Tamala's death and releasing their names, addresses, and pictures. But the case was ultimately dismissed. In December 2018, Jose was fired from his job as a pre-child services officer after he was caught trying to access files related to Tamla's death. Now, Jose's behavior only made him look even more guilty to the public. But despite the social media efforts on behalf of her friends and family, once police closed the case in February 2019, Tamla's story began to fade from the headlines. But last year, however, people reignited their interest in Tamla's case. Once again, the picture of the only Black woman at the all-white sleepover who wound up dead started circulating, and this time, it caught the attention of several celebrities, including 50 Cent, T.I., and Kim Kardashian, who all tweeted in support of a new investigation. on June fifth, twenty twenty, the lawyer for the Horseford family sent a letter to them stating that he had concluded their independent investigation of Tamla's death. And in that letter, the lawyer says, quote, "Witness statements are in conflict. A potential subject handled the body as well as the evidence prior to the law enforcement arrival. A remarkable fact is that there were no photographs taken during the autopsy of Tamla's body." This had been done at someone's directive because such a practice is unheard of, unquote. The letter also states that there's a strong possibility that Tamala was murdered. A week after that letter was sent to Tamala's family, and after mounting pressure from the public, the Forsyth Police Department in Georgia finally asked the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to reinvestigate the case. And so last summer in 2020, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation began to reinvestigate Tamla's death. But once again, her story started to fade from the headlines. You know, like most things on social media, people kind of moved on to the next thing. But Tamla's family and friends hoped that the GBI investigation would give them answers and justice. But sadly, it didn't. A little over a year after they reopened the investigation, the GBI concluded its investigation into Tamla's death. On July 26, 2021, the GBI announced that it will not be filing charges in the case and that they agreed with the initial findings that Tamla's death was an accident. Once again, Tamla's family has been left with more questions than answers and they do not accept the findings of the GBI. They do not believe that Tamla's death was an accident, and they have vowed to continue their fight for justice. It has been almost three years since Tamla went to a birthday party and never came back home. There are still many unanswered questions about that night and what exactly happened to Tamla. There are things that just don't make sense, and Tamla falling off the balcony that night is one of them. And forgotten in all of this is the fact that Tamla was a mom. She had six children, including her stepdaughter, who in the fall of 2018 was pregnant with what would have been the Horsford's first grandchild. If I'm being honest, I usually don't give my opinion too much on the cases that I cover, but I don't think Tamla's death was an accident. The injuries she sustained seemed extreme for someone who fell. The party-goers all agreed that despite Tamela's blood alcohol level, she wasn't extremely drunk or out of control. And she definitely did not appear drunk enough to have fallen off of a balcony. I believe 100% that if Tamala had been the lone white woman at a party with all Black people and ended up dead, the police would have handled the investigation much differently. I don't know if there will ever be answers to what happened. But I do know that Tamla's story needs to be told over and over again until the people that loved her the most feel like they have the answers and the justice that Tamala deserved. Yeah.